Thank you all so much. Man, that was just Katrina. I, l- I love that song. That's one of my favorite songs. Of course, it's, it's now becoming an older song, which is fantastic. It just hangs around and hangs around because it's so good. Aren't you thankful for Jesus and his promises? Huh? Well, I got two. Two people, yeah, five. That's great. Man, the Lord is good. It's his promises that get us through. And it's amazing how God just kind of orchestrates this whole thing with promises because that's what Jesus does. If a promise in him fails, that means Jesus fails. And he's not a man that he should lie. And so I I just want you to hold on to the promises of the Lord today. Proverbs 3, this is a popular, and I I believe the Holy Spirit led me to this uh, book and and chapter and these verses uh, to start off with because it's popular. And so Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say this, and you, and you know it. Trust in the Lord with all what? And lean not on what? In all your ways acknowledge Him, and what's He going to do? Yes, He is going to di- guide, direct your past. That is a promise from God. As John Piper would say, future grace. In other words, we're not just depending upon the grace that Jesus did on the cross. We're depending upon the future grace. Why? Because creation was good. Genesis 1, everything was good. And then the climax of it, when he created humans, it was very good. No sickness, no disease, no bad viruses, no bad DNA, none of that stuff. It was good. And then sin entered the world and things began to break down. God said that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And what happened to man when they sinned? There was a slow breakdown and progression towards death. The body began to break down. Things began to happen. They were moved out, kicked out of the Garden of Eden, got into a place where obviously there were more bad viruses, more bad bacteria. There was things that would happen with the body. And, and so again and again, over and over, men began and women began to break down. But Jesus didn't leave us to our own demise. He sent His Son to die on the cross and thereby redeemed us because what we could not do, only He could do. Because this great, omnipotent, omniscient, Wonderful God had a plan, and man said, in the, as, as Matt Chandler would say, the great blasphemy, that we went our own way, that we felt like our life had a better direction than what God could give. And so then what we do, instead of trusting His promises, we begin to trust in ourselves and our promises and the promises that other people made us, that always led us to a letdown. And so that great blasphemy led to the separation. And then Jesus comes and redeems us and buys us back and begins us to put us on this journey of restoration. And He's given us the ministry of reconciliation because He is restoring all things back to Himself. Or as N.T. Wright would say, He's putting the world back to right one person at a time. He's putting it back to right. And so this great storyline is there. And then God gives us all these promises in Scripture over and over and over. These promises to remind us that we can trust Him and to hold on to that. And so then we move into this place after the resurrection where Jesus reminds us. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so we've been journeying this whole year on hope based on this one passage in Colossians 1.27. Christ in what? The hope of glory. 
And so there's this hope because of the resurrection, because of this Greek word anastasis, which means to stand again. And so God allows us to stand again. And He's allowing us to stand again because of the promises. But then there's this dilemma in humanity that when God gives us a promise and the fulfillment of this promise, there's usually a big gap. There's usually a a delay in that. And since there's a delay, we have an opportunity to deny. But for us who hold on to Jesus, God begins to keep us in a place where we don't deny. So what do you do when you're in a place where the promises of God are true, but there's a gap between the promise and the fulfillment? What do you do? In Acts chapter 1, we see where Jesus is getting ready to ascend, and he's going to leave them with a promise. And we're going to look and journey at what they did in the midst of that. So Acts chapter 1, let's just turn there on your phone. And by the way, all the sermon notes are online, but I promise you today that I can, it's like I'm, I'm agreeing with Katrina, I can just sense the presence of the Holy Spirit as I've already prayed for you to be empowered and sense the Holy Spirit because you see I, too, believe the promise of God. In Luke eleven thirteen, I say this a lot, but I hold on to this a lot. He talks about people that don't know God. He, he says these words. Jesus said these words about people that don't know the Lord. He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So I probably prayed that for you. Already prayed that the Holy Spirit would manifest himself today. And he's already begun in this process as we worship him through song, as we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Acts chapter 1. So we get to see what the Lord's doing here. So then we get to Luke, who's writing his second book. He wrote Luke, and now he's writing this second book, which in the two, they were the, initially they were together. Verse 1, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, which is an affluent citizen, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Verse 2. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving, giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many proofs That he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, spoke and spoke about the kingdom of God. So here Jesus, after his resurrection, was this 40-day journey. And at the end of 40 days, he is taken up to heaven. And then there's going to be another 10 days. And then there's this festival of Pentecost. And that's when the Holy Spirit is going to come upon people. But so what do you do when the promise of God... And the fulfillment of the promise of God when there's a delay. What do you do? Here's what I would like to uh, share with you what the Spirit shows us in Scripture. Here's the first thing we do. The first thing that we do, the next thing that we do, is that when we're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled because God is calling us to stand again in the hope of Jesus, the next thing we do, it drives us into fellowship. Look what there in verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them. There's this idea of fellowship. When you don't know what to do next, 
when you have a promise but you're not sure what's coming, you're not sure what to do, get into the fellowship of the believers of Jesus. Get into the body of the fellowship of believers. And there's a word for that. The, there was only, Matthew was the only gospel writer to use the word church. And it's called the word ecclesia, the called out ones. It means gathered and scattered. We are gathered today. During the week, we're scattered. And then we come back for discipleship groups. And we're gathered. And then we go disperse. And we're scattered. That's the ecclesia, the called out ones that God has called us. But there's another word uh, for church. It's, it's translated fellowship in the, in the English language from Greek. It's that word koinonia, where we get the word coin for common. And so this word fellowship is an interesting word. It's used even in a couple places, 17 times in the New Testament to be exact. But in Acts 2.42, he says this, they, meaning the believers, the disciples, the apostles, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, what's the next word? Fellowship. The word koinonia. Now, it really means joint participation. It, it, it carries the word intimacy. I'm going to go there, sorry for not being Disney, but it literally it can be translated as intercourse. Now, what I mean by that is this, is there's this joint participation in the family of God. So when you don't know what to do, the next thing you're not sure, you feel like you have a promise of, from God, but you're not sure what to do next, get with the body of Christ, because the body of Christ is connected to the head of Christ. So you get with the body in joint participation. And joint participation is not us just coming together. Joint participation is not just taking a dollar and dropping it in or, or, or using your debit card online. That's not joint participation. That's contributing, but that doesn't mean you're investing. See, I know when someone invests because they invest themselves. Because there's no greater value than we have in our lives than our own life. And so there's this idea of joint participation. There's this idea of intimacy. And God is calling us when we don't know what to do, we come together and we become intimate. Now, here's why. A lot of people say, well, I can't do that, John. You don't know how many times I've been burned. You don't know how many times I've been burned. And what's amazing is that Jesus will not burn you. He will always be with his bride. See, when we are faithless, 2 Timothy reminds us that he is what, saints? Faithful. In other words, he is consistently doing what we cannot do. And I, I know some of us are saying, but John, I, 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 I just struggle with that. I, I've been hurt too much. And I just want to give you a word from the Lord today. And I don't even know why I'm saying this, but I'm going to say it. I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to say it to the best I can understand him. So Lord, I'm speaking this on behalf of what you're pressing into my spirit. Is that give a relationship one more try. I don't know what that means to you. But to someone in this room, it means something of deep value. Give the relationship one more try. Give the fellowship one more try. Give that person one more. I don't know what that is, but because the body of Christ drives us into fellowship, he always drives us into relationship with him. That's the first thing we see that the believers were doing. There was this idea of fellowship when they didn't know what to do. And then the next thing is, is that the hope of Jesus that causes us to stand again, 
the Anastasius. He drives us to do the last thing he told us to do. He drives us to do the last thing he told us to do. The first thing is we see that they gathered, when they didn't know what to do, they went right to fellowship. There's 120 of them praying before the Holy Spirit comes. They didn't know what to do. They just did the last thing that God or Jesus told them to do. Look there in verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And he gave them this command, saints, and here's what it is. Do not leave. What's the next word? The Lord, oh, the Lord wants me to share with you today. Don't leave. Are you going, what? I'm out. I don't know what you're out of, and I don't know what you want to get out of, but I'm telling you right now, do the last thing God told you, don't leave. Don't leave, because if you leave, you miss the blessing of his presence. He said, don't leave Jerusalem. And, and I, I kept thinking, whoo, this, is, this has got to be a problem, Lord, because I want you to hurry up. When you tell me something and you say, the Spirit's going to come upon you, but don't leave Jerusalem, and now there's this wait, and who knows when the Spirit's coming. They have no idea. They were just doing the last thing God told them to do, which when he gave them a word, they just abided by it, and it made no sense. I know in our spirit we're saying, hurry up, hurry up. God, you got to hurry up. It's, it's almost like this with the Lord. I'm like, God, please hurry up. Please answer. Please do what you say you're going to do. It's as frustrating for me Waiting on God is me standing in the line in Golden Corral. I'm ready to push people down. I'm ready to trip kids. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to get my food. And it's the same thing. Like, Lord, hurry up. We need you to do something. Because think about what he says. Don't leave Jerusalem. It doesn't make sense. You want me to stay in Jerusalem, Jesus? Um... Forty days ago, to the day, you're telling me this. Just three days before that, they killed you. You want me to stay in a hostile environment. Think about what Jesus said to them. Don't leave Jerusalem. I mean, these are the disciples that the Jews were accusing of, that they're saying they stole the body of Christ. They're coming up with all these resurrection stories. Maybe they're just so overcome by grief that they did this. I mean, there were guards at the tomb that that were paid money to go out and, and spread lies. I mean, these people were wanted people, and yet Jesus says, stay in the hostile environment. Now, look, let me clarify some things. This is what I'm not saying. If you're in a relationship where you're physically getting beating, I have a word from you, for you. Get out. That's not what I'm saying. But when I say a hostile environment, I mean a place that you're in and you don't sense the presence of God. You don't sense the presence of God in leadership. You don't sense the presence of God around you. You just know God said, don't leave. And you sit there and you're mad. Let me just translate. John gets mad because God won't let him do what he really wants to do. But see, here's the difference. God knows what's best for me more than me. Again, it goes back to the great blasphemy. I left the will of God because I said, I know what's better for my life than you, Lord. It's the same thing Adam and Eve did. You know, I, I just, I think God might be holding out on me. Satan, you might be right. He might be holding out on me. The serpent's talking to me. And, you know, he might be holding out on me because if I eat 
of the a fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, then I'm going to be like God. You're right, serpent. I'm going to be like God. And I, I need to know when he's holding out on me. And that's kind of how we think, and then we get off the path and we sin. See, think about what's saying. Jesus was resurrected. Rumors were flying around. The evil response of heresy. I'm, I bet their lives were threatened. But what did they do? They outlasted the devil. They outlast. When God says, do not leave, in other words, do the last thing I told you to do, outlast the devil. Do you understand? Y'all, see, you're, you're seeing a... a, a as Stephen Furtick was saying, Crash the Chatterbox book, you're seeing a highlight reel. But I've told you this. When, when, when Summit Church was a church plant that was dying, and I'm up there pastoring and I had no money. I only have really one nice pair of dress shoes right now. I, I got another in the house, but it, it, my mom gave me years ago, but they they're, oh, hurt my feet, right? It's like tight or something. And so uh, I wear these old ones. But I mean, I only had one pair, and I told you this, and the bottom was hanging out. People would walk in. I had no idea I was going to pay my house note. People would walk in, and this guy walks in one day and says, here's $600 in cash. God told me to give it to you. I'm like, well, there's how I pay my house note. People would just stop by and just be me and two other people praying, and, and, and God, people would just stop in and just give me words from God, and over and over and over. And so, yeah, we're all here today, and we sense it like this, but it wasn't always like that. It wasn't always like that. It wasn't just like, boom, we drop in some music, and boom, we drop in some preaching, and boom, there goes people, and it just blows up. That's not the way it was. Man, there was a lot of prayer. There was a lot of seeking God. There was a lot of tears. And some of you journeyed in that process with me, and you know what I'm talking about. You just have to outlast the devil. And God will show up in miraculous ways. But you got to do the last thing that God told you to do. When you don't know what to do and you're trusting the promises of God, trusting the Lord with all your... And I'm trying not to lean on my own understanding, Lord, but I really want to lean on it. The serpent is talking to me. And then you realize that we've got to outlast. Why? Because the victorious presence of the Holy Spirit within us gives it to us. Let's keep going there in, in, in verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which uh, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now let me tell you something. I start getting a little excited when we start talking about the Holy Spirit because that's the victorious presence that we have in Jesus. And he didn't just give you a presence that makes you just feel warm and cozy. When Jesus sends his Holy Spirit upon us, as Jesus' Holy Spirit manifests himself within us, we're sealed for the day of redemption when we get him. But then there's these manifestations of the presence. John the Baptist said it like this. Man, he's not going to baptize you with water like me. I'm paraphrasing. He says this. I'm gonna, he's going to baptize you. The Messiah, Jesus, is going to baptize you with the Spirit and with what, saints? Anybody know? Fire. See, some of you just had a flashback to the 1970s. Fire. Bum, bum. You don't know about that. All right, so, I mean, disco ball and all. Like, there's a, there's a light coming on. And so when you have the fire of the Holy Spirit within you, things change in your life. You don't just go through your high school. You just don't go through places. And when the Holy Spirit burns in you, something changes in your life. Let me just break it down for you. This is where it gets good. Woo! I mean, I'm feeling it. All right, see, when you outlast, when you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you can outlast situations and things and people. 
So when you don't know what to do, just hold on to the presence of the Holy Spirit. We just sang, we just sang that song about, I'll never, he's never let going to go of us, and we're never going to let go of him. Oh no, you never let go. And we've seen that, but do we really mean it? We have to outlast. Here's what happens when your Holy Spirit comes upon us. And the presence of the Spirit burns within us. And our flesh wants to go one way, but the Spirit is burning saying, no, you're going to do this. And we try to step out and go that way, and we just get convicted, and it falls apart, and we get backed with the Lord. And this is what happens. When, you can be, when the Holy Spirit is upon you, and you're standing again by the resurrection of Jesus, Anastasis, that hope, the hope we have, we can outlast being made fun of. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And, and Robbie, if you want, you can come on and play, uh, play over me here because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be going some places. Acts 2, 13 and 14. So the Holy Spirit comes upon Peter. Holy Spirit comes upon, and then all of a sudden, look what the, look what the people say. Verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much what? And then listen, they speak in Summit's language. I'll go to this side. They speak in Summit's language. We used to be that way. When, when you do something, what God is burning inside you to do, and people are saying, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out, and it's burning in you. No, I just got to do what the Lord says, and I don't know what the Lord is telling me, but I'm just going to listen to the voice of the Lord. I'm just going to listen to the Spirit of God. And you'll listen. it just burns in you to listen more than it burns in you to do your flesh. People are going to say, you're crazy and you're drunk. And then all of a sudden, you take that as a compliment. Because Ephesians 5.18 says, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Shawnee Hunt says, that's not a contrast, but a comparison. When I'm drunk, I do things I wouldn't normally. When I'm drunk, I do things I wouldn't normally but when you're drunk in the Spirit, you do things you wouldn't normally. <laughs> you, you just do things. Listen, it makes no sense for me to stay here and preach to eight people at Summit. That's my first sermon. And at the end of about a year, there's about 20 people. Woo. It makes no sense to turn down church after church. And then when Dr. Charles Stanley at First Baptist Atlanta calls me, and my wife and I are praying, we're like, should we go? He's, he's only offered me a ton of money, and he's only offered me in-touch ministries. I was at his house. And he's like, bring as many people as you want. Bring worship leaders. Bring what you want. Just bring what you want. Give me the largest ministry. And my wife and I were praying, and we kept getting my son's little 11-year-old baseball team. Now, look, I love 11-year-olds, but I don't love them that much. That was stupid. I'm looking at God going, God, are you, are you all there? Because I know I'm all here. And you're telling me a group of 11-year-olds? 11-year-olds? And I could go to Atlanta, and I could pastor and be on TV and do all this stuff. And, and, and let's just be honest, someone ain't that big, and they don't pay that much. You, you crazy, Lord. You're crazy. And my wife and I kept getting it and kept getting it. I'm going, 
I, I don't I want to listen to you. Can I just be wrong once? Like, can I just do my own thing? Just let me just settle in it. Let me just settle. It's raining money. You know, I mean, stuff like that. And the Lord's like, no, you're going to stay. And so literally we stayed and I was miserable. Miserable. And two months later, we baptized 10 and 11 and kids left on that team. Yeah, that's how the Lord does it. But that's what Jesus does. Say, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know what God was trying to do. I didn't understand. Barkley Radyball, the basketball coach, he just loves when he talks to me. I don't know why. I feel sorry for me. Because one day I was on, I was on the treadmill because you know I got back fat. And so I'm on that treadmill and he comes and he says, how are you doing? I said, I am not good. Of course, I didn't say it like that. I was like, I am, you know, you got the visual. And he said, John, that's why I love you because you're just real. Yeah, I'm real. When I'm mad at God, sometimes you just got to act like, but people are going to think you're crazy for doing what God's telling you to do. Just do what he tells you to do. And I promise you, I can say this. Woo! God is rarely early, but he has never let me down. I haven't missed one bill. Now, it's come through other people and other things. And I give God the glory because God laid them on the heart. They might have felt sorry for me, but it was God who made them feel sorry for me. It wasn't them. I'm not going to give him that much props. See, that's what God will do for you. You don't know what to do. I, I don't know what, to, what I'm going to do after I graduate. Or I don't know what to do with my grandkids. I don't know what to do with my job. Or I don't know where I should go. And I, I might be transferred. Don't leave. You're saying you're trying to build up CSU. Are you crazy? I ain't, I'm trying to build up Jesus. I don't care. I have one Lord. One Lord. See, money died a long time ago in my life. When you're pastoring 13 people for no paycheck, money dies a long time ago. It dies a long time ago. And you got to be able to say, Lord, I'm going to do it. you got to outlast people making fun of you. And they will think you're crazy and stupid. And you just bless the name of the Lord. Because God is going to take their, their cursing and turn it into a blessing. And God will lay it on somebody's heart. It's amazing what God can do. It's amazing what the Lord will do. You gotta outlast, you gotta outlast the devil because, because you gotta outlast being made fun of because as long as Jesus approves you, it doesn't matter what else does. You gotta outlast fear. You gotta outlast a broken heart. Think what he told Peter. He'd stay in Jerusalem. Peter has bad memories in Jerusalem. But you don't know, John, I got some bad memories. And you telling me to stay, I got some bad memories. Let me just remind you in Luke chapter 22, what did Peter do? He denied Jesus. How many times? Three times. There's bad memories for Peter. You have to outlast. The Spirit of God within us because of the gospel of Jesus will outlast the pain and the suffering. He will outlast that broken heart. He will outlast it in us because only we can be loved good enough by the Spirit. You say, but John, I'm, I'm ill-equipped. Like if I stay, I'm just ill-equipped to do because I just, I don't know and what the Lord's telling me. I just don't know. I don't feel equipped right now. I, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know if I need to go here, there, where to go, what to go. There's all this indecision and indecisiveness and all this stuff and we don't feel equipped and all this. I want to tell you something. I want to give you freed up. Get you freed up in the Lord. When God calls us to do something and we're in a place of waiting or we're in a place of where he wants uh, to, this fruit to happen immediately. I want to tell you, whenever he calls us, we're always ill-equipped. 
I am not equipped to pastor, and I am not equipped to preach. I am not equipped. Listen, I am not. I fell 10th grade. Some of you are going, I know why it's bad, John. Now I figured it out. Listen, none of us are equipped to do what God's called to do. Get over ourselves. None of us are equipped, but guess what? God will do something mightily. We, we might feel ill-equipped by human standards, but we're equipped by God. Go to Acts chapter 3. I love this passage. Oh, this just gets me stoked. Acts chapter 3, verse 2. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, Acts 3, verse 3, he asked them for money. I need some money. Peter and John, two broke preachers. Most anointed by God, but they didn't have an airplane. Well, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Verse 5, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. In other words, he did not have what the people around him demanded. Are y'all tracking me? When the Lord puts you in a place, you won't have what the people are actually looking for. But you're going to give them what they actually need. Silver and gold, have I none? But, in, but he says, look what else he says. But what I do have... But what I do have, I give you. And what did he have? He had the presence of the Holy. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Game changer. That's what you have. You walk around school and people say, you ain't got this clothes, you ain't got that, or you don't have this look, you don't have that. Are you kidding me? You're going to let people speak that death over you? You're going to let people talk to you and say, well, you got this grade or that grade, you don't know where you're going, you don't know how you're going to pay for that. Are you going to let people speak that? But what you do have is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the manifested presence of Jesus Christ who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Are you kidding me that God cannot just open the floodgates if he wanted to and provide anything, but he will provide according to our needs in his riches and glory. That he will do. And so we get all worried and upset. Because God promises something and there's delayed fruition and we don't know what to do next. Or you, or you get a report and you don't know what to do. It's a bad report. Or you get this and you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. Fellowship, do it exactly the last thing he said. Holy Spirit's going to show up and you're going to be able to outlast being made fun of. You're going to be outlast fear in a broken heart. You're going to be outlasting the thoughts of being ill-equipped. And I love this. You're going to outlast, outlast injustice. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. You're going to outlast injustice. And when you stand with the Lord, you will face injustice. People will make fun of you. Things will not go well with you. Don't expect it. Just expect God to do something in it. Acts 4. After Peter and John... There's this healing, and the guy jumps up, and he's celebrating Jesus. And I mean, the crowd is just in awe. And then Peter sees it as an opportunity to preach. And then chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection. Woo! And Astatius of the dead. 
I'm praying that's that Greek word. They seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. They put them in jail. You and I will overcome injustice. But here's what I love. Though we may be chained, the Bible tells us the word of God is not chained. Look at the next verse. Oh, this is beautiful. Oh, I love this. Verse 4. But many who heard the message believed. Hey, they try and chain the voice, but the message still goes forward. Man, when you can, have, you can rest that God's word and Isaiah 55 never returns void. Rest in it. Even though there's injustice. And then you can outlast the empty feeling that you have waiting on the Lord. You can outlast the empty feeling that you and I have waiting on the Lord. There's so many times that I wait on the Lord and I have empty feelings after empty feelings after empty feelings. I, I just struggle. I'm like, Lord, come on, man. I'm just empty. I'm out. I'm feeling emptied out. I'm done. We can outlast the empty feeling. Look at chapter 4. Verse 8, they're going to call Peter and John. The next day, they're going to bring them out of the jail. They're going to call them in front of them. They're basically going to tell them to shut up. But look what Peter says. He's going to outlast the empty feeling. Why? Then Peter filled with the who? See, you can, you listen, you can outlast the empty feeling because the Spirit of God is going to fill in you what you and I are incapable of putting in ourselves. The Holy Spirit, when you wait on the Lord and you just sit in the presence of the Lord, the Lord is just pouring the Holy Spirit. That's the idea. One of the editors of the New International Version, I was watching him. I think Troy still was with me and some other people. We were watching him just teach on that. And it was this cup and he was just pouring, pouring into us this constant overflow as my cup runneth over. Somebody said this week on Facebook, though my plate may be empty, my cup is full. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. I love when people say that. See, Peter knew. He could say, then know this, because he knew. Then know this. You and all the people of Israel. Like he's not worried. He's not saying, I'm not talking just to you in this room, but to anybody else. My God is bigger. See, when he was empty, the Holy Spirit came and filled him up. He just spent the night in jail for proclaiming the Lord. There was a healing taking place. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God comes in. It's just this manifestation of him. And he says to everyone with such boldness, then know this. You and all Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. The very thing that held up everything in Peter's life was Jesus. Is he that for you today? It's if, if I took Jesus out of your life, would your life still go on? See, if you took Jesus out of my life, I fall apart. I have no job. I have no, really no education because it's all built on that. I have nowhere to go. 
The emptiness of a broken heart, I have nothing. If you take him out, he's the center of everything that I've got. My family will fall apart. My kids will go crazy. I'll probably end up in a divorce. That's what will happen if Jesus leaves my life. And the great news is Jesus promised that he will never leave me or forsake me. It would be John Davis that does that damage. He is the cornerstone. Is he that? In the middle of waiting, and God has given you these promises in Scripture, and he's given us this. In the middle of waiting, you can say, he is the cornerstone. He holds everything together. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1 says. And in Jesus, he holds all things together. He is the cornerstone. It is not you, you, the Jewish leaders. It is not you, Sanhedrin. It is not your job that's the cornerstone. It is not your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your degree, your family, your grandchildren. It is Jesus Christ. It is the cornerstone of everything in our lives. It is not this church family. It is not your extended family. His name is Jesus. And if he doesn't have that place, then he has no place in your life. Because see, Jesus is either Lord or not. There is no in-between but Jesus. He will overcome the empty feeling. He will outlast the feeling of inadequacy. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And then one of my favorite verses in Acts. He says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John. The feelings of inadequacy are met by the Holy Spirit with the feeling of courage, with the empowerment of courage. God will give us the courage to take one more step when we feel like we can't take another one. He will take us by the hand. He will hold us up. He will carry us up. He will have other believers in fellowship come and put their burdens uh, put, put their shoulders next to you and carry that burden. That's why we have people that are out there that will be in the prayer room right after worship. You want prayer? People are there. Because we have such a warrior in Jesus. That's what God does. We have to outlast because the promises of God are true and His presence is real. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men and they took note that these men and they took note that these men had been with who? So you and I have a, presence, a, a chance today to be in the presence of Jesus. We have a chance just to sit at his feet. As, as Robbie and the worship team are going to sing and play over us, we have a chance to sit in the presence of the Lord that we can say that we have been with Jesus. You and I today have a chance to be with Jesus, just in his presence, in this corporate fellowship, just to sit in his presence and say, Lord, I'm not sure what the next step is, but I'm going to do the last thing that you told me to do. I'm not going to leave whatever the situation is. I'm going to trust you to make a difference. I'm going to trust you to speak to me. I'm going to hold on to the promises of trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. In all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you and you will direct my path. You will do it because you're not a liar, Lord. You're not a liar. And I believe not only in your past grace of the cross and the resurrection, 
but in your future grace of every promise. And we, we're believers, have a chance to sit with Jesus today. Whatever's going through your heart right now, you and I have a chance to sit in his presence. Remember the great blasphemy, Matt Chandler said. The great blasphemy is this, is that we try to live our life our way. We tell the omnipotent, omniscient God, I'm going my way. That's what Adam and Eve did. I'm going to do things my way. That's the great blasphemy. But we have a chance today because of the gospel, because Jesus redeemed us, and that's why he's the one who's glorified. He's the one who's magnified. He's the one who's eulogized. He's the one who's Savior and Lord over all. We have a chance today to sit in the restoration process of the gospel and say, Lord, not my will be done, but your will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So to the believers in this room, two parts to the prayer. First part to the believers. Who needs to sit with Jesus today? Second part, if you're not a believer in this room, I'm talking about a follower of Jesus, not a church goer. If you're not a follower, There's only one who can settle the sin card. It's Jesus. Father, who needs to sit in your presence? I just need to back up and let you speak. Who needs to come and just sit in front of the Lord? Lord, we just wait upon you. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Lord, some people have questions. Some people are, why am I even here? There are a lot of struggles, Lord. A lot of challenges. But Lord, I thank you that you will meet them according to your riches and glory. We are waiting for you, Lord. We are waiting for you. Our eyes look to the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help cometh from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. We wait on you. And though we want to run... Though we want to run, you said, do not leave. So we obey. We trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So all the people, Lord, that are on their knees, that are sitting waiting on you, You're causing us to stand again. You're breathing life into us right now to stand again. We are calling upon the resurrection and the life to stand again. We're calling upon you to give us strength and empower us by your Spirit to stand again. We're asking you to give us courage to stand again. We want to stand up even when people make fun of us, even when we feel ill-equipped, Lord, even when we don't know what to do, even if it costs us a night in jail, we stand again with the name of Jesus. And we trust you because you are faithful. And then my last part, Lord, is there's anyone in this room who has never surrendered. I didn't say accept surrender because it is only the blood of Jesus that can wash away sins we can't fix our sins 
We can't stop the flesh. It is not about limiting cussing or limiting alcohol or limiting all the sinful desires of the flesh, Lord. Only Jesus can put it to death and then raise us in the Spirit. Only Jesus. So Lord, I pray they'll call upon you. I believe that you died on the cross and God, you rose him from the dead on the third day. And surrender their lives and they will let us know so they can be, become disciples of the King. Lord, we wait upon you and you will answer in Jesus' name.